Thank you, Mark and Kate. Good evening, everyone. Happy to see you all here uh, today. You may want to open your Bibles at Colossians, Colossians chapter 1. You may remember my last opportunity to preach in the evening was from Colossians. So I uh, would love to continue from there. And an, an exciting portion of that, uh, that book that we want to deal with today. So Colossians chapter 1, we're going to look at verse 9 to verse 14. I want to thank Mark and Kate for their excellent leading. I so appreciate it this morning and this evening in the, the way they've done that. We have to pray for Mark so that he can get an iPad. <laughs> but let me rather say pray with Mark so that he can. And we're going to talk about praying, so Mark will, will just add the, uh, what we learned tonight to what we are praying already. So uh, let's pray first. And then we'll, we'll read the passage and we'll explain what the Lord wants us to learn tonight. Let's pray. Father, we don't want to open your word assuming that we have understanding. We want to and must rely on you. You have all wisdom. You have all power. You have called us. You have enabled us to understand the truths that we find in your word. So I pray that this evening this will not be an academic exercise, a transferring of information, but it'll be life-changing, that we will again, or maybe for the first time, be awakened to the value of praying for others and what to pray for others, and that we will be um, committed again to renew our desire and our commitment to pray, to prayer. Thank you for the example that Paul sets in all his letters and the things that he prays for. Help us then, each one of us, to find in this passage what you want us to learn tonight so that we may be more effective in what you have called us to be. Amen. Colossians chapter 1 from verse 9. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in his inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. If, uh, if I would say this evening, let's pray, as we've done already, none of you would have any doubt about what is going to happen next. Praying is a very common and natural part of people's lives, so much so that even Madonna gets her group together and they pray before every performance and sometimes even before an important, an important practice for performances. Praying is natural. It's an outcry or a reaching out to someone higher for help, wisdom, and comfort. I have no idea who Madonna's God is. I know it's not the God of the Bible. 
but even they pray. I, uh, some time ago, I went onto Uncle Google and I searched for where do people pray most? <laughs> Guess where? Where? Funerals? Mm -mm. Yes, they pray muchly, but not, not the most. To toilet. <laughs> where else? In prison. Possibly, you'll be surprised at the casinos. It was a while ago, and it was America, so I'm not sure if it applies to South Africa. But a natural outcry. One would expect, then, that uh, Christians would find praying a very natural blessing to engage in. But we find many Christians admitting that praying is actually hard. It's a difficult discipline to apply every day. Mature Christians even would say that uh, their prayer life is neglected. We're not getting to that. Often when we do counseling and someone is in a spiritual problem or experiencing, experiencing a spiritual problem, the question we'll ask is, how are you doing with your quiet time and prayer? And they will often say, not so good. Often Christians who go through difficulty will say, this as if God is just not listening to me. My prayers are bouncing back off the ceiling. Even the most prolific prayers, people who pray among us will admit that they go through seasons where their prayer life dwindle, dwindles into almost insignificance. So Paul helps all of us. What makes Paul such an example in prayer? You'll find if you read through Paul's letters in the New Testament, all of Paul's letters, except Galatians and Titus, you will find Paul praying in the first chapter of those letters. Of the 13 letters, there are only two where Paul does not mention prayer in the first chapter. So, if we can only pray like Paul, if we all could have the prayerful mindset of that apostle, life would be less stressful. We would be more in tune with what God wants. We would be more joyful in serving him and his church. J.I. Packer said the following, I believe that prayer is the measure of the man spiritually in a way that nothing else is. So if we are then honest and we think of our prayer life in this last week, we may stand ashamed before God. So we find two elements of our prayer that aligns with Paul's prayers. So if we say, if only I could pray like Paul, if I could pray in line with God's will for every Christian, what would that be? Paul helps us. Paul says there are two elements of prayer that you have to have in order to grow spiritually and to grow in your ability and willingness and blessings in prayer. You pray for knowledge and you pray for a worthy walk. Praying like Paul means to pray for knowledge and to pray for a worthy walk. So let's go to the first one, praying for knowledge. We find that in verse 9 of Colossians chapter 1. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. There we see Paul praying, and he started earlier already in the previous portion of this chapter. Started already, but now he focuses his prayer on this. From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge 
of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So Paul wastes no time to start praying. From the day we heard. So he got news of what is happening to the believers in Colossians, having not met them, got the news from, from Epaphras, and it was good news, news about how they are already growing in their knowledge and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and how they are serving and loving one another. Two main characteristics of the church there that Paul was excited about. Then he says, because of this knowledge, because of the news, since we got this news, we prayed. So I must say that I find uh, myself guilty in that when I hear bad news, when I hear something about someone who needs my prayer, it's usually, I usually go where Paul is, I jump into prayer when someone has a need. It takes me longer to pray for someone when I get the good news about that person because they're fine. They're right. If I hear someone is they're rejoicing and they, they're loving their, their, their quiet time and their prayer life is just spot on, that's fine with me. It's obviously good with God. Here's an example from Paul. Gets the good news, doesn't cease praying. Prays all the time. Because of and fired up by the good news. So we may just remind ourselves, even when we get the good news, maybe even especially when we get good news from someone, it's not that person, it's God. So we may and should then immediately engage in prayer, thanking God for what He is doing and has done. From the day we heard. Paul is very regular and disciplined in prayer. We have not ceased to pray for you. So not only does he start when he gets the news, but he doesn't stop. So obviously you know it's not as if he you know, pushes all things aside. He doesn't eat, he doesn't sleep, he doesn't talk to other people, he doesn't wash his hands. No, it just means that these items of prayer are consistently in his mind. Whenever he thinks of them, he continues his prayer. Where he left off. What does he pray for? He prays for biblical understanding. He says, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So to pray like Paul in what to ask for others, it is fine and good and blessed to ask for many things. Earthly needs. If people are ill, by all means, let's pray for their healing and comfort and patience. If they are poor, let's pray for them to, uh, to have sufficient funds. If they have challenges in relationships, by all means, let pray, let's pray for restoration. Let's not stop praying for that. But we may sometimes have our focus completely wrong. It is better, according to Paul, to ask for the character of Christ to be more evident in their lives. It says in, in verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work. So to ask for biblical knowledge to increase, to ask for continued effective ministry for Jesus and His kingdom. But just go back to verse 9. See how Paul breaks down this knowledge that he prays for. Look at the knowledge that he, that he, he prays for and that we should also pray for. He prays for knowledge in the middle of verse 9, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge 
of what? Knowledge of finances. Not saying it's not important. Knowledge about relationships, how to, how to communicate, how to manage relationships, how to manage stress levels, how, how to use your time effectively. All of that may be important, but that's not what Paul says we must pray for first. He says we must pray for the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So sure, pray for knowledge of other things. But more importantly, pray for the knowledge of God's will. Paul prays also that that knowledge of God's will will get stuck. He says you must be filled with God's wisdom. In the end of verse 9. Filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Filled with. So go for worldly wisdom and see how it turns out for you. Rely on your experience alone and see where that gets you. Trust your instincts, some will say, and let's see how that turns out for you. More dangerously, just go with your heart. Just trust your heart. Like Oprah says, no, no, no. The heart, according to Jeremiah 17 verse 9, is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And that's a rhetorical question. The answer is no one. And then Proverbs 3 verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. So Paul's prayer is a very significant one, and we should remind ourselves often to pray that prayer for one another. Yes, for ourselves as well, but for others. Praying like Paul means that you pray deeper than the superficial needs of this life. Paul teaches us what to pray for, what is really important. And what is really important is knowledge, knowledge of God's will. And Paul wants that knowledge to fill you, and fill you with God's wisdom. That was quick. Number two will take a little bit longer because there's more. Number two, what should we pray for if we want to pray, pray like Paul? You must pray for a worthy walk, for a worthy life. From verse 10. So as to, there we find our title of this portion of this message. So as to, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So some of you may be uh, more focused on detail and structure. Um, you may have studied how to interpret the Bible previously, and you may say, is this now still part of a prayer? Is he, is he not instructing here? Is he not, has he not moved on from a prayer? When he says things like, He, God, has delivered us from a domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. Is, is that not instruction? Has he left his prayer? Well, we were looking for an amen. He didn't say that, but that doesn't mean the prayer ended. Well, think of our songs that we sing. 
In, uh, in our church, we want to sing songs that are biblical. We want to sing the Bible. And then often we will sing to God about God. And every so often we will sing to one another about God. But we are constantly in our singing and in our talking about God, communing with God. He is ever-present with us. Whenever we talk to one another about God, we're also talking to God. So it's part of the prayer. J.I. Packer, again, says, Knowing God is a relationship calculated to thrill a man's heart. So to have knowledge and not to use that knowledge makes the knowledge worthless. Paul continues his prayer. He prays, Now that the knowledge that you will gain by studying God through his word will have a visible effect on you. I remember Martin Holt used to say that when a person becomes a Christian, that person should, st- should change to such an effect that even the cat at home must realize there's a change. So Paul prays for biblical growth because of biblical knowledge. So as to walk, verse 10, in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. And then he says, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. Just think of of that growth path that Paul explains here to us. So his prayer for those in the church in Colossae and also for us, we can learn from that if we want to pray like Paul and say, but we also want to pray this for ourselves, but we can pray this for others, to increase in the knowledge of God. You ask any Christian, what is it that you want to achieve? Every Christian's answer must be to become more like Jesus. How will that happen? Paul realizes without God, it won't happen. Without continuously asking God for that to be true in a believer's life means that God must be involved. So asking God for that spiritual growth, which means Christ-likeness, is important. That's why believing the Bible is important. But you cannot only believe the Bible and not do the Bible. And that's Paul's prayer. To be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. So often Paul writes about joy, doesn't he? And you can think, well, maybe he had an easy life. Well, go and look again at what happened to Paul. He gives us a list somewhere. I'm not going to read it to you, but you can go and find it. Paul writes to the Philippians, for example, and he writes to a church where he spent a lot of his time with lots of heartache and lots of pain, chased away from his ministry. And he writes to them, rejoice in the Lord always, always, always. What is it? What, what, what gets you there? Paul says, pray that you'll grow in the knowledge and that you'll bear fruit. As you gain more knowledge, you become more like Christ, it becomes easier, it becomes natural to have joy and patience and endurance no matter the circumstances. Paul prays that your life will be what? Worthwhile. Worthwhile is not necessarily making it through this life without complaining, although that'll help. It's not necessarily building a big company that provides work to many people. 
Paul says a worthwhile life is different because he uses God's financial system of worth. So we see in verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work. So if you pray for a worthwhile life, you pray for a life that gives you growth or where there's growth evident. Bearing fruit. If you have fruit trees in your garden and they don't bear fruit, why do you have them? Maybe for shade, but the purpose is to have fruit. So I'm sure that when you go out and buy fig trees, you would want that tree at some point to give you figs, right? Or if you go and buy an apple tree, you would want apples from them. And we as Christians are to bear fruit. In where? In every good work. A wonderful prayer. Wonderful prayer to pray for other people in the church. Also for ourselves. Not only that my ministry may bear fruit, not only that what I do will be effective, but that your ministry will bear fruit, as Paul's example shows us as he prays for those in Colossia. Increasing in the knowledge of God helps us. Not saying, I know God, uh, I, I know that kind of a doctrine, I've studied that many times, so I don't have to study it again but instead showing a real hunger for more, a deeper understanding, even of those portions that we know already, knowing that a reminder of a known doctrine will cause what? More Christ-likeness. And we need reminding. The Blackwood Brothers wrote this song, and I'm sure you didn't know it was the Blackwood Brothers who wrote the song, but I think you know the song. And don't worry, I won't sing it. More about Jesus would I know. More of his grace to others show. More of his saving fullness see. More of his love who died for me. More, more about Jesus. More, more about Jesus. More of his saving fullness see. More of his love who died for me. More about Jesus let me learn. More of his holy will discern. Spirit of God my teacher be, showing the things of Christ to me. More about Jesus on his throne, riches in glory all his own. More of his kingdoms, sure increase. More of his coming, Prince of Peace. More, more about Jesus. More about Jesus. More of his saving fullness, see. More of his love who died for me. A worthwhile life, according to Paul, is a life that includes an essence of growth. And then he also says a worthwhile life means empowerment, verse 11. Two elements of that power that we see there, the source of the power and that the empowered is empowered by God's glorious might. We see it in verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to God's glorious might. The purpose of that power, empowered for endurance and patience with joy. Verse 11, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. So how, how often does it happen to you, that happens to me as well, that uh, I would think I'm actually quite a patient person. And I may even say that to someone, and then something happens where you see that you are wrong. 
God causes our growth by seeing us where we fail or showing us where we fail. For example, uh, if you pray for patience, what will God do? God will give it to you in one of two ways. He'll convict you through the Bible that you need to work on your patience, and if you can do that, that's great. But more often than not, God will put you in a position and allow you to experience something that will not only test your patience but make you fail so that you can see you need to still improve in that. But, dear friend, if you are a Christian, then you are empowered for endurance and patience, and you can do that with joy. And I have to say that uh, even in this week, as I studied this and as I reminded myself of the power that God gives, uh, I, I was aware of the ability that I have to be patient with joy. And I found myself actually to be patient, and I was very glad about it. It was not with joy. It was that kind of patience that you sit and you say, well, I, I can do this. I, I'm just, just hang on. I don't have to react in a, un, an ungodly way. It's like our children sometimes did when they came into the room and we say, they're like teenagers, we say, come sit down, I want to talk to you, and they remain standing. And you say, sit down, you have to obey, and they go, Pfft. wrong attitude, right action, wrong attitude. So I found myself there. But let's remind ourselves of the fact that we are empowered by God himself, to endure and be patient with joy. I sometimes wish that Paul didn't write about this so often, the joy in spite of circumstances. A worthwhile life means growth and empowerment. And a worthwhile life means gratitude. Verse 12 to 14. We find in verse 12, the second part, gratitude for an inheritance, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. When, uh, when my dad passed away uh, a bit more than three years ago, shortly before we came here, the, uh, the brothers, I have, uh, I have five brothers, so we are six sons in the family. Uh, we are split in the middle between the Huttings and the Maybergs. So I have stepbrothers. And uh, when dad passed away, we, we got together with the sisters-in-law and we discussed the funeral and what would happen there. And we also discussed the inheritance. And uh, there was a bit of a mistake in dad's will. Well, not a mistake, but I think an oversight. Uh, dad's will combined with my mother's will, and my mother passed away 10 months before my dad, unexpectedly. She was younger and stronger, and uh, she passed away suddenly, and then dad passed away 10 months later, and according to the will, he was too late. He should have passed away a few months earlier, because the will said that if uh, dad passed away uh, longer than six months after mother, that the whole inheritance will go to the Huttings. <laughs> but we also knew my dad's intent, and we knew what our parents would want, so we ignored the will. Can't ignore God's will. Can't ignore God's testament. So we included the Maybergs back into the will, in spite of the fact that they weren't there. 
But God's will and testament is different. What qualifies you to inherit from God? It's God's will and testament, old and new. What brings Paul to express thanks to God regarding inheritance is the following. Listen. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you. So the Hattings qualified, and then we in turn qualified the Mybergs back into the will. So they should be forever grateful for our kindness. And I need to remind them again of that. But what qualifies you into the inheritance of God? Paul says, inheritance of the saints in light. The light there is a, in general a statement about Christ-likeness in opposition to the demonic, which is related to darkness. And we see it well explained by Jesus himself in John chapter 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So a worthwhile life is a life that is filled with gratitude, and the gratitude includes a gratitude for your inheritance. And gratitude also then for a new kingdom, in verse 13. God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So Paul makes a statement of qualification. You are qualified because of the light Jesus is the light of the world, and he delivers you from the domain of darkness and transfer you into the kingdom of his beloved son. So once you become a Christian, you don't have to look forward to one day being part of God's kingdom. You are there. You are in that kingdom. It, it is not only a will and testament that you must, must wait for for a future date. You are already part of that kingdom. So, reason to be grateful. And this list that I'm giving you is not only a qualification list, but it's also a test, isn't it? Are you grateful that you have an inheritance? Are you grateful that you are empowered by God to be able to fight sin? Are you grateful that you are already part of the kingdom? And are you living as if you are a kingdom child? Or are you so attached to the things that you are grateful of for this life that you're not looking forward to leaving? And the wonderful one in verse 14. A grateful life for the forgiveness of sins. Verse 14, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That is the beloved son. So worthwhile life is a life showcasing consistent spiritual growth Faith in God's plan and ability with joy and gratitude for God and His eternal supremacy and involvement in your life. So how will we respond if we think about wanting to pray like Paul and reminding ourselves of the content of that prayer? How should we respond? Shall we continue to make much more of the concerns and the urgencies and even the joys and the pleasures of this life? Or shall we determine again today that we shall live more for God 
and pray more for us to become more like Jesus. The fact is, God always answers His children's prayers. Always. He doesn't always answer it according to our request. But He always answers. So the question is, if you pray, are you a child of the Father? If you are, then He always listens to your prayers. But if you are not, you're in trouble. And Paul confirms it again in this portion. He reminds us that we've been brought out of darkness into the marvelous light and into the kingdom of the sun. And it's because we are there that Paul can, can pray for the church then and for us even now. That we live lives that will portray the value of Jesus Christ. So how shall we respond? J.I. Packer again says, I believe that prayer is the measure of the man, spiritually, in a way that nothing else is. So we may want to evaluate the content of our prayers. God does not have a group of angels listening to and writing comments on your vocabulary. God does not have a team to watch how you sit or lie down what your expression on your face is, or what the tone of voice is that you use. God looks at your heart, and our hearts are increasingly changed into the likeness of the heart of Christ as we load the truth and the knowledge of God's Word into our minds so that our hearts can be more conformed to the image of Christ. How are you praying? Are you praying like Paul? Or are you guilty, like I am often, of a quick, please God, prayer? Or is your prayer life, does your prayer life only increase and become better because you are in trouble or when you are in trouble? Mostly to make your life easier. Or are you praying for other Christians that they may know God, and that they may live worthy lives for the glory that belongs to Jesus? And here's a bit of a test, a taste test. Some questions that you may want to ask, just practically. What is prayer? In its simplest form, prayer is speaking to God about important things. When may you pray? Any time, anywhere. But there's value in the discipline of prayer. There's value in making a time every day where you commit to spending time with God. Nettie and I found much value in that. It does happen from time to time when there's something happens, life happens, and we don't have enough time. She has a, a meeting, or I have a meeting, and we have a quick read together, and then she'll often say, let's make these prayers uh, quick and effective. Kort en krachtig is the Afrikaans. Quick and effective. And there's a time that you can do that. But Acquire the discipline and experience the joy of consistently praying for big things and small things. Lord, help me as I get in my car and drive to this meeting. In the meeting, Lord, I'm not sure if I'm going to say the right thing. Help me with the words. New client that I have to meet. Lord, please bless this, and if this is not what you want, 
then take this client away. Anything that you can pray for. When? Anytime. How must you pray? No specific uh, instruction about that. We see in the Bible many options. Sitting, lying down, lying flat on your face. Maybe you should try that one day when we have a prayer meeting. Everyone down flat on your faces. Let's see if, if we are more effective then. Some may stay awake, others may fall asleep. So I'm not sure if we want to try that. To whom can you pray? God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. How often must you pray? As often as possible. What are you not to pray for? Don't see any limitations in the Bible. Who should you not pray for? Do you have a list? Well, here's where the list ends. And here's where the challenge is. So if you may think, you may, you may go through the day and you may think of that one person. And I have some politicians that I had on this list not to pray for. Matthew 5, verse 44. Jesus says to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And he also said in Luke 6, verse 28, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. But I don't know what to pray for, you may say. I'm not sure what words to use because of the situation I'm in, I am in. I've come to that point where I don't think God is listening to me. Romans 8 verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for us for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. May we learn to be so focused on prayer that we pray like Paul prays, and that he makes his focus in his prayers, in each one of the prayers that we have recorded in the New Testament by Paul. He prays that people will gain knowledge about God and that they will live worthy lives. May that be true of us, and may we find in our prayers more of that, and that God will be honored in how we live out the answering of that prayer. Amen. Father, these are not difficult words. These are easy words. We all understand them. But we also know that we so often fail and we so often forget. Remind us, Lord, to pray more like Paul, that we will be less focused on our list of personal needs and that even when we are in trouble, that our minds will move away from our own concerns to the greatest of prayers for others, and that is that they will become more like Christ as they gain knowledge about God as they fall more in love with Jesus because of who he is and that that will have an effect in all of our lives so that we may live lives that are worthy to the name that we carry, the name of Christ in us. Help us to do so for his sake. Amen.